Well, we are going to go into our time of teaching. I can't remember if I mentioned it. My, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if, you, if you're brand new, special welcome uh, to you. But uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching. And the way we do this is inside your program. It's a green and white note sheet that you'll want to take out because it'll help you follow along. So I encourage you to take that out. And then if you guys are ready to go, I'm going to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're excited to be here and the start of a brand new series. And Lord, you know I'm excited just to jump in and excited what we're going to learn and how we're going to grow as a church through this. And so I pray that you would come, you would speak, you'd open our eyes and uh, really give us eyes to see supernaturally what you're saying to each of us so we could change and grow and become like you and walk with you on the path to life. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are kicking off a a brand new series. It's called the the Genesis Chronicles, The Pursuit of Life. And for those of you who are brand new, this is actually the second in a trilogy of series on the first three chapters of the Bible, the book of uh, Genesis. Now, if you were here in our first series, uh, which is called The Story Begins, uh, we, we saw, uh, we were kind of introduced to this amazing God, right, who is uh, who's, who's brilliant and powerful uh, and personal and generous and beautiful and good. And, uh, and we, we're interested in this God in, who, who, out of his great power, speaks the cosmos into existence, kind of the raw materials. And then over the next six days, uh, whether you see them, as we talked about, whether it's six 24, literal, literal 24-hour days, or you see them as six kind of longer eras of uh, time, or you see them as six days of a seven-day literary format, that, that he, over the next six days, he he, uh, he forms and then fills this creation, and it's all leading up, everything's leading up to the high point of the creation of the human race. They're created to be like him, created in his image, and created to rule as the first king and queen over creation, right? And so what we, we saw uh, in, in that chapter is everything was leading up to that. So it's kind of a big picture overview of creation. Now, as we move into chapter two, we need to pull out Google Earth, all right? Because in chapter 2, what's happening is Moses, who's kind of described this big picture uh, creation of the cosmos in chapter 1, is now going to zoom in. So I, I want you to picture Google Earth. You know how that works, right? You go on and it goes in. You're like you're seeing North America. and you're, Now you're going down to your, your house. You're zooming in to one specific time and place, location, uh, uh, event that's going to happen where uh, Moses is going to give us more detail about the creation of the first human couple that he's kind of went over very rapidly in chapter one and about their first home uh, in an area that we know uh, was known at the time as Eden, right? And so if you have your Bibles, what I'd like you to do is uh, take your Bibles, your apps, whatever, and open up to chapter two of Genesis. And there in your note sheets, a section called the Genesis Chronicles, the Garden of Eden. We're going to pick it up at verse four, and we're actually going to go through the whole chapter today, just get a quick overview and then come back and uh, make a couple points and ask a question and apply it to our lives. And then this has set us up for this whole series um, that's going to go on for, you know, five or six messages, something like that. So um, so I'll pick it up in chapter 2 and verse 4. And it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So this sounds very much like Genesis 1-1, just in reverse. Uh, the first account, big picture account, is in the beginning... God creates uh, the heavens and the earth, right? Uh, Shemaim and, and Vamaim in, in Hebrew. He creates the heavens and the earth. Um, and so here, now we're going to reverse that. 
and we're going to go zoom in to a specific time and place, a specific part of that creation in chapter 2. And so he reverses the order, and he says, this is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created. And he says, when the Lord God, now when we see that word Lord God, what does the word Lord mean when it's all caps? Yeah, Yahweh. Uh, some of you are new to Rocky Peak, you may not know that, but in the Old Testament, when you see Lord in all caps, it's a translator's way of letting you know this is the personal name of God, that God revealed himself to Moses and the nation of Israel, the name Yahweh. Okay, so, so this is the first time in the creation account that's happening. And so he says, when, when, uh, when Yahweh God, in other words, Israel, remember, I'm writing, this, I'm writing this for you, Israel, to tell you the story of creation, how things came about, how we came about. He says, you know, our God is Yahweh. He rescued us from Egypt. That God, Yahweh God, is the God I'm telling you about. Okay? And so he says, so, um, so when Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens, um, and this is going to be a long sentence, so uh, hold your breath here. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and there was no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, <gasps> and the Lord God uh, formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Amen. All right? So we have this long sentence, right? This is a super long sentence. And uh, so what Moses seems to be doing is going back to the beginning of the story of the creation of the first couple and the creation of their first home. So as you read this, don't think we're going back to the creation of everything. We're going back to the creation of this first uh, nature preserve in the area of Eden. All right, so as you read it, it almost sounds like, hey, we're going back to the beginning. There's no shrubs. You're like, wait a second. In, in chapter 1, it said, uh, first of all, that we had the, the plants and vegetation on day, on day 3, and then man was on day 6, and now it says it's kind of reversing. And So don't picture it like that. What you need to picture is we're not going back to the creation of the whole cosmos. We're going back to the creation of the first human being in this area of land that had been formerly barren, no plants there, uh, nothing growing. There's no rain in that area at this time, only streams coming up. And he says, so we're going back and to tell what happened with the creation of this first uh, couple and their first home in the land of Eden. He said, and the way it happened is that he's going to give us more information about the creation of this first couple. Now, if you're here in the first series, we saw that in chapter 1, I think it was verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. And he makes man in his image, male and female. It's a very quick, big picture overview but now we're going to get down and dirty, so to speak. We're going to get very personal. He's going to hone in. And so what we're going to find out is that the process was more involved than we saw in chapter 1. There's big picture. Again, now we're zooming in. And so what he says, he's going to picture God as a potter. Now, I want you to catch this. This is going to be very metaphorical language that he's using here. Uh, this, this often happens, especially in the Old Testament, where God is described as if he's a human being. Like, he's not a human being, they know that, but he's described that way. So think with me, like, back to the first series, and when we looked in the first series, we talked about creation, we looked at a passage of scripture in the book of Job, and I put it there on your note sheet again, and I want to go back to this, <coughs> I think it'll help us understand chapter 2. Um, in this passage, God is challenging Job, 
And God is going to compare the creation of the world to the construction of a building. And he's going to compare himself in this metaphor to a construction worker. Are right, you following me? And so, so he, says, uh, he says to Job, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation and, and who stretched a measuring line across it? Okay, so he's like, hey, where were you when I laid the foundation for the earth? Where were you when I got out the big tape measure I used and kind of stretched it over things, measured things out? Um, on, what were, on what were its footings set as if, you know, you're digging footings for a building? Uh, or, who laid, uh, or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels sang for joy? So you may remember this verse. So at the time we talked about this and we said, hey, what is God saying here? Uh, how does he intend this to be read? And at the time we said, you know, is, is God intending this to be read in a very literal way? Like God is a construction worker, got his tool belt on, got the angels over here with shovels digging footings, you know? And we said, well, no, it's obviously a metaphor that God is describing the creation of the world, comparing it to the creation of buildings. It's a very poetic way, but it helps us to visualize it, right? Well, in the same way, this seems to be going on in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, God is going to be compared like to a craftsman like to a potter making clay, uh, like to a metal, uh, metal worker who's forging iron, like a farmer who's planting a, uh, kind of making a garden, all right? And so we have this very personal description. So chapter one, very global, that God says, let us make man in our image, and he just makes him and we're done. Remember, Barah, he brought man, and we're done, right? In chapter two, now it's, it's very personal, it's very intimate, it's very detailed. It's almost just like God is getting down on his knees, uh, rolling up his sleeves. He's forming, uh, forming this first man out of the, the dirt. By the way, um, you don't see this in English, but in Hebrew, the word for man here is the word Adam. Okay, so we, we call him Adam, but it's more of a genetic. The first word is Adam. The word for earth is Adamah. So you follow this? So Adam is being made from Adamah. You can kind of get that? So, so it's this picture of God getting down, kind of personally rolling up his sleeves, creating this first uh, man, and then breathing into him, almost like CPR or like a kiss, breathing into him the breath of life. Very personal and very intimate. Now, as we move on, he's going to begin to describe the first home that God creates for this first man. And so in verse 8, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. So this would be east of Israel. Remember, it's written for Israel, so everything kind of orients from there. Uh, in Eden, in this, land, in this area called Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And so the Lord God, Yahweh God, uh, made all kinds of trees growing out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye. So this kind of like a nature preserve. I want you to picture this. It's probably big. This is not like your backyard, right? This is, we're going to see major river flowing through this, so this is like a picture of big, a big, a beautiful nature preserve. And so um, he's going to make all kinds of trees. Uh, trees are pleasing to the eye. In other words, they're beautiful, and they're good for food. They, they're delicious, they're nutritious. Um, and uh, he says, and in the middle of the garden, there was these two special trees that, of course, are going to play an important part in the narrative when we get to chapter 3. Um, and one was called the tree of life, and uh, the tree, the second one's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil, all right? And so uh, now he says there was this big river going through this nature preserve, and uh, it was uh, watering the garden float uh, from Eden. And by the way, 
uh, as we go through this, uh, scholars really disagree where this garden was, where this nature preserve was. Uh, if, you, if you read different uh, kind of resources, commentaries, scholars, whatever, they will disagree. There's no general consensus on this. What's going to happen is that uh, Moses is going to say there was this one major river, huge river, flowing through this nature uh, preserve. You know, a river runs through it to do fly fishing because it has to be perfect. Uh, and uh, I'm sure the huge trout. But anyway, uh, you, there's going to be this, uh, this nature preserve. The river's going to flow through it. And then it's, as it comes out of this nature preserve, it's going to divide into four rivers. And these four rivers, um, two of them you're going to recognize the names. We still have rivers in the Middle East by these names today. Two we don't. And so scholars just really disagree over exactly where this was. But uh, anyway, so and uh, it says, verse 10, a river uh, watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it separated <laughs> into four headwaters. And the name of the first is the Pishon, and it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. So uh, kind of a wealthy uh, natural, natural resource place. The gold of that land is good, and aromatic resin and onyx are also there, and so uh, onyx, fine stones, precious stones. The name of the second river is the Gihon, and it winds through the entire land of Cush, which could mean uh, Upper Africa or could refer to Mesopotamia. Scholars disagree. The name of the third river is the Tigris, and of course we still have that river today. Well, it's the same river, just the same name. We don't know, but this, this runs through, um, through Iraq today. And so the name of the third is Tigris, and it runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates, and again, the other major river we still have today in Mesopotamia, in, in Iraq, in that area. Okay, so he's described, uh, he's described a little bit this, this nature preserve, the trees, the, the, uh, the water, the precious stones in the area, the, the natural resources. And so it says, the Lord God now took the man and put him in this garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And I want you to catch this. We're going to come back to this next week. But it's very important. I want you to catch that work was part of the program from us from the start. That the perfect life is not the life of leisure. The perfect life is the life of purpose. Right? We were designed in God's image. God is a worker. He is a creator. He's, here he's pictured as a farmer, a potter, a metal forger. That scripture God is a creator. We're created in his image. And so for us to be fulfilled, we have to have meaningful work, projects, responsibilities in our life. Now, work as we know it today is not the same as work then. We're under the fall. We'll get to that later. But the point is we were designed to do something. Right? And this is why, just kind of sidebar, this is why I think for many people uh, the concept of retirement is such a mistake. Uh, because so many times people, I just want to get back and kick back and enjoy the good life. Well, if you don't have something to live for, if you don't have something to work for, if you don't have something that captures your imagination, you want to live for and die for, uh, you're just going to die. Right? Or you're going you're gonna to go stale. And so the goal, nothing wrong with retirement, but hey, retire and find something you believe in, something you've wanted to do your whole life, and throw your heart and soul into it. You know, It's a be better way to go. All right, so that was for free. All right. Um, my goal is to retire when I'm 80, by the way. Anyway, uh, so here we go. So um, now, we have, now we're going to have the uh, first, uh, spur first spiritual instruction, first command in the Bible. Um, and so in verse 16, it says, The Lord God 
commanded the man. He's kind of pointing out the path of life. Here's your home. I made it for you. It's full of beautiful trees. It's river, natural resources. It's incredible. And so here's how to thrive in your new world. And so here he goes. He says, first of all, starts with a positive. Uh, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. All right, so incredible place, incredible abundance. Uh, you can eat as much as you want. Whenever you want, you will never gain weight. All right? <laughs> he says, but there's one exception, right? One exception. And uh, so you, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you eat of it, you'll surely die. And so it's a very clear warning. He's not told why. Um, he's just going to have to trust this God who's loved him and obviously provided abundantly. He's going to have to trust him. So ultimately, this is going to be a test. It's going to be a test of who he trusts, a test of obedience, a test of love. Of course, we'll come back to that later, some today, but more in chapter 3. And, uh, and so, uh, anyway, he's very clear. And then he says next, says the Lord God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so I'll make a helper suitable for him. And Actually, this word helper in the Hebrew is a very strong word. It's often used to describe God. God is our helper. And we'll talk more about that as the series goes on. But, uh, so I'll make a helper. And so the, so the Lord God, uh, he'd formed all the, out of all, um, he had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. We learned about that in chapter 1. And now he brings them to the man to see what he would name them. Now, interesting sidebar here. This is, again, for free. But um, sidebar here is this is going to take a while, isn't it? Right? Like, um, mm, hippopotamus. <laughs> mm, giraffe. Mm, armadillo. Um, you know, are you with me here? This is going to take a while. Um, in fact, um, in the first series, uh, I mentioned this, that um, there's a Christian uh, astrophysicist. Uh, his name is Dr. Hugh Ross, uh, came to Christ through reading the Bible, wasn't a believer, was uh, just kind of searching world religions, uh, read the Bible. The Bible is the only book that made sense, um, kind, of, kind of coincided with what he knew of science. And uh, he just felt like if there's a if there's a book that's from God, that's really from God, uh, it should be true to life. It should match up. And so as you're reading the Bible, you read Genesis, he's like, this is incredible. This, this describes what we know from science. Uh, and so he continued reading the Bible, ended up becoming a Christian. Uh, and he's a Christian astrophysicist. But anyway, uh, he recently wrote a book. He's written a lot, but he's recently wrote a new book called Navigating Genesis 1-9. Um, and in that, in, on this passage, he makes the comment that uh, from his calculation that it would take, even given that there might be less species uh, at the beginning or, or less uh, diversity, you know, than, than there is now at the beginning, uh, even given that, he would, he would estimate that it would take a really extremely bright person, which we're assuming the first man was, uh, at least a year to two years to name all the animals. Now, I don't know if he's right, but it's, it creates an interesting phenomenon. Because you remember back in chapter 1, um, we have these six days. Uh, animals are created in day five and day six. And in the middle of day six, um, God creates the man and the woman. But today we learn in chapter two, there was actually time between those creations of the man and the woman. And that during that time, he named all the animals. 
And so this has led some scholars to believe that, hey, this would suggest that those six days of Genesis 1 are more than 24-hour days, that they may be either uh, kind of longer eras of time or that they are part of that seven-day literary format. And so I don't know, but what's interesting here, I want you to catch that's significant, is that God has Adam name the animals. And I want you to remember back uh, in chapter 1 when we learned that in the ancient world to name something was a sign of rule or authority. And remember what we learned in chapter 1, that the first man, first woman are created to rule. They're the first king, first queen. And so here you have Adam's first act of ruling, that he is to care for the garden, and then second, he is to name the animals. And I want you to see uh, what it says Uh, This is significant. It says in verse 20, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. It may take a while. Um, And and it says, um, oh, I missed at the end of verse 19. uh, It says, He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, catch this, that was its name. In other words, God didn't override him. God didn't say, that is a ridiculous name. (laughs) Are you serious? Hippopotamus? Kids cannot spell that. Um, Come on, try again. You know, it's like, call him a gork. I don't know, call him something, but make it similar. Like, the point is, God's not overruling. Like, you're in charge. This is your world. Rule. Whatever you rule, that's the name. Okay, so now... So he names him, and then it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, God has an ulterior motive here, because as your name, remember, they created male and female, right, these animals, and as they're coming up, you know, and you're naming them, uh, I don't know how long it takes, let's just say it's a year or two. Uh, after a year or two, you're like, wait a second, how come there's always two of them, but one of me? Like, I've not seen anything here I can really relate to. I think I'm missing something, Right? So, so God is kind of um, using this process to create an awareness of need. Catch this. God is using the process to help Adam discover himself. To help Adam know himself. You know, have, you, have you ever gone through life and learned something about yourself you didn't know? Like often other people knew it, but you didn't know it. You're like, well, I never, like when you're growing up, like, oh, man, I didn't realize that I was creative. Or I didn't realize that I had this hunger for learning. Or I didn't realize I was artistic. Or I didn't realize that I was, that I just, I loved order. Or I, whatever the thing was. And all of a sudden, you, there comes a day when you're like, oh. Now, God knew that all along. We often don't know ourselves. God knows us way better than we know ourselves. And often he takes us through experiences in life to help us know what we need so that we can begin to ask him for it. And so here we we have God kind of making him aware. And so uh, after he becomes aware, verse 21, the Lord God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep, kind of anesthesia. And while he was sleeping, he takes one of the man's ribs. And in Hebrew, it really says it's like his side, part of his side. I think it was, you know, part of his, it's probably not just a rib, part of his side, flesh, blood, uh, you know, DNA. He takes part of his side, um, and this is very important, how the woman is created. She's created from the side, from, from the man. 
And it says, then um, he closed up the place with flesh, heals him. And then the Lord God made a woman from the, the rib or the side he'd taken out of the man. And he brings her to the man. And the man said, whoa. That's what we're talking about, baby. This, I need me one of those. Like I, this is what I've been missing. I didn't know it before. I've gone through all the animals, not seen anything I needed, but I need one of those, right? So it's interesting in the Hebrew, you don't see it as much here, but one of the translations like, puts it this way. It's, it goes like, at last. And uh, he's like, whoa, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She's, she's part of me. She'll be called woman, which in Hebrew is isha, for she was taken out of man, which in Hebrew is ish. So from ish comes isha. And so Moses throws in this editorial comment then, for this reason, in other words, because the woman came from the man, a man will leave his father and mother. That's his most important relationship. We'll talk about this later in the series He'll be united back to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. And so catch this. The idea is from the one, Adam, uh, or Ish, came the two, Isha. And so now what happens is God performs the first wedding ceremony, brings the Isha back to the Ish, that the two can become one. Again, that was their design. And so, um, uh, and, uh, <laughs> so it says, for this reason... Uh, a man will leave his father and mother, his closest uh, relationships, uh, be united to his wife. They'll become one flesh, which speaks of much more than just the sexual union. Uh, that's a big part of it, but it's much more than that. It's a, a shared life. Um, and so this relationship now becomes the most important relationship in our life if we're married. It, it, it usurps all other relationships. Uh, some of you have mothers-in-laws that don't understand this. And so we need to graciously educate them. This relationship is not for three. You are not bone of my bone. Um, And so this becomes the most important relationship. And then catch this. I love this. The man and his wife were both naked. Now you know why he said, whoa. And uh, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And so have you ever had kids, like little kids, and you find them out, and they're like, they're, all their clothes are off, and the sprinklers running around. And you're like, hey, you can't do that. The neighbors, you know. And, uh, and so, but this is like this first man, this, that, that freedom that kids have, that, that lack of insecurity about their bodies, that, that just joy of life. Let's just get rid of this stuff. Let's just go naked. Uh, that, it, this picture of innocence and freedom and joy, that's what you have here. You, you have this incredible nature preserved beautiful trees, fruit, you've got purpose, you've got meaning, you've got this incredible mate, first king, first queen, naked, go have fun, be fruitful, multiply. Oh, uh, it's like, hey, what's not to like here, right? Like this, is, and they're both naked and they're not ashamed. It's like life is good, right? And so back to the garden. And so here today, here's what we're going to do. 
Uh, in the time that we have left, a couple things I want to do. Uh, first things, uh, I want to lay out a couple big picture principles that are going to guide us through this whole series, every week of this series, uh, that flow out of this passage. And then secondly, I want to come back and ask one important question that will also guide us throughout the whole series, but especially for today. And so there on your note sheet, you have a section. <coughs> My iPad went to sleep, so let me wake it up. Um, you have a section called the Genesis Chronicles, a pursuit of life, right? So two principles. Let's, let's jump in. Uh, first principle, as I want you to catch, is that we're created for life. Okay, we're, we're created for life. Now, uh, you say, well, wait a second, what, what do you mean? We're created for life. Of course we're created for life. We're alive. No, we're not. Uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, will say, when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, Christ came to rescue you. Um, that we were created for life, and when I say life, I mean life to the full. Life with a capital L. Life like the garden. That's what we were created for. Um, and, and you see this, we saw this in chapter 1, right? That we, we, when we were back in chapter 1 in the first series, we saw this. We saw this, this, uh, this picture, this description of this amazing God who is brilliant and powerful and creative and personal and generous and beautiful and good, who out of his incredible love creates out of nothing a place that's all designed for us. And you remember this. Three times at critical points in chapter 1, critical points in the creation process, three times this special, this special word that God blessed his creation. You remember that? that he, the first was when he blessed uh, the first animal life on day 5, marine life. Second was when he blessed the human race when we were created on day 6. The third is when he blessed the Sabbath on day 7. That's what we talked about that last week. And so what we learned in chapter 1, and I talked about this a little bit, is that we're created to live under the blessing. That, that we have this amazing God who out of his tremendous love creates us, and you and I were designed to live under the blessing. And we see it today at a whole other level. As we watch this incredible God now in a very poetic description roll up his sleeves, get down in the dirt, form this first man tenderly, breathe into him personally the breath of life, create this incredible nature reserve for him to, to rule and to lead. He gives him purpose. He gives him direction. He says, you're the king. Begin to name, begin to rule, begin to explore. Here's an incredible uh, nature preserve and all these natural resources begin to conquer this world and rule this world. And then he says, and on top of that, I'm going to bring this perfect mate. You didn't even know you need before me, this perfect mate. And she's going to be your friend and your helper and your lover. And you're going to share life together, and it's going to be amazing. See, we're created, for, that's what we're created for life. And here's what I want you to catch. Every single one of us in every day of our life is trying to find our way back to the garden. We are all looking for that person, 
that place, that pleasure, those possessions, that power, that position, whatever it is, we each have our thing. We think, if I could just get this. Because deep inside, we know we were created for something great. And as a race, we are hungry for life. What I call life with a capital L. Not, not just biological life, not just get through, but, but life as it's meant to be lived. And that's why I'm calling this series The Pursuit of Life. Because that's what this whole series is about. Like, what were we created to experience? What was it to be like in our work, in our careers? What was it meant to be like in our relationships, in our marriages? What was it like in our sexuality? What was God's vision for our lives? And how do we get back to the garden? And of course, this is what Jesus came to start, right? When Jesus came, what did he talk about more than anything else? He talked about eternal what? Life. And often when we hear the words eternal life, we think next life. When Jesus is talking about eternal life, it's not just longevity of life, it's quality of life. It's the life of eternity. The life we were created to live in fact, in John 17, Jesus puts it this way, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ who you sent. You know, this essence of being restored to our creator, being restored to our relationships, and being restored to our right environment, and being restored to our right being. Now, that isn't all going to happen in this life, right? A lot is going to happen in the next life. But this is why Jesus came to start the process. And there on your note sheet, you have this very famous verse, but I hope it makes more sense now. John 10, 10, he says, I have come that they might have what? Life. And if I were me, I'd put life with a capital L. This is why he came. This is, he said, I have come that they might have life, and they might have life to what? To the fall. You see, this is one of, remember, I always say that the story of, of Genesis 1 through 3, these first three chapters, they're, they're epic. They lay the foundation for everything else that the, the Bible is telling. And we've talked about some of these big picture epic stories that are being told in Genesis 1 to 3. Just like an author, like an uh, author of an epic novel in the opening chapters is, is starting off introducing the time, the place, the setting, the key characters, the plot, the key conflict. It's not going to get resolved until the end. The opening chapters of Genesis is like that. The big picture stories of the Bible are screaming at us from Genesis 1 to 3. And here is one of the most important epic stories. The story is you were created for life. You lost your life. This is what God is doing to give you back your life. It's one of the big picture stories in all the Bible. Now, number two. The second principle goes like this, big picture, is that God knows the path to life. That not only were we created for life, but God knows the path to life. Remember what I just said is that, that in a sense, every one of us as a fallen human being, we're, we're longing for the garden. We're looking for a way back. 
You know, what, what's the person? What's the place? Well, maybe if I have kids, if I meet the right person, if I fall in love, if I get, if I get married, if I get out of this marriage, if I, uh, if I uh, you know, if, if my kids do well, if I can get this job, if we can make that much money, if I can have this experience, what? We're looking for something to restore the life, right? And one of the messages of Genesis 1 to 3 is that God made you. God designed you. Every good gift that you've experienced, every good thing you've ever experienced in your life is a gift from him. And that he alone knows the path to life. Um, One of my favorite passages of scripture in all the Bible is Psalm 119 and verse 32. I put it there on your note sheet. The psalmist says this, I run in the path of your commands. Right? Like, Like today, we saw the very first command. Hey, here's this amazing garden. It's all for you. All the trees, everything is there. Have as much as you want, whenever you want. This, I've made it for you. Uh, here's how you operate in this new environment. I love you. You love me. Amazing world. Here's the deal. All for you. Do whatever you want. Uh, one exception over here. Like, what is God doing? Like, his command is leading us to life. And the psalmist says, I run in the path of your commands. Why? Because you have set my heart. What? Right. You see, see, one of the things that happened at the fall, and we'll talk about this later on in chapter 3, is that we all are born with a natural distrust of God. We're all born with this, this natural sense of, I don't think I can trust him. I don't think he's looking out for my best interest. And so the psalmist says, hey, here's what I've discovered in life. I've discovered that God loves me, that he cares about me, that he knows the path to life, and that his commands lead to life. And so I'm no longer resistant to his commands. I'm no longer kind of dragging my feet in his commands. I'm not just walking in the path. I have now I've come to where I'm running. In the path, his commands, because they lead me to life, you see? And there's such a great example of that in this passage. I want you to look with me back at chapter 2 at verse 18. Something very profound here. In 2.18, um, after he gives him the command, what to do, what not to do, He says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, we've taken a long time to go through this chapter one. But if you're just reading this, right, just kind of sitting on reading it, just take a couple minutes to read chapter one, you get chapter two, something's going to jump out at you. What's going to jump out at you is that seven times, I pointed this out in chapter one, seven times as God is creating his world, he stands back and says, it is what? Good. Right? So it is good, create. 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 It is good. Seven times, the last time, he, after he finished, he said, it is very good. So if you've just got through reading chapter one, there is this rhythm in your mind, isn't it? Create, good, create, good, create, good, create, good. And you get to chapter two, create, not good. And you're like, what? 
What is it? What? What do you mean not good? Like, what's not good? I thought everything was good. There was something that was not good. And it wasn't something that God had created. It was something he hadn't created. It was a lack of something that made the situation not good. But here's what I want you to catch. God knew this long before Adam knew it. Like, Adam didn't come to God one day and say, hey, God, I just, uh, I got a complaint. I know this place is supposed to be perfect. That's what people are going to say from now on. Um, and I know it's supposed to be perfect, and I really appreciate the trees, and they're, they're awesome, and just beautiful, no pollution. It's great. I love that sunset. Killer. The river, amazing. You know, a river runs through it. Are you kidding me? This is better than Montana will someday be. This is amazing. But I got one complaint. I'm getting kind of lonely here. You know, and I don't know if it kind of slipped your mind or whatever, but have you noticed that there's kind of male and female, and I'm just like, I don't know what I am. I'm just me. I, I guess, you know, there's like no one like, no one. hey, could, could you do something about that or just slip your mind? I want you to catch, that didn't happen. That God knew Adam's need before Adam knew it. Are you with me on this? He's the creator. He's the designer. He knows how we're wired. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And the psalmist says, I've come to the place where I understand that his, his commands are leading me to life. And so I'm no longer resistant. I'm going to run in the path of his commands because the faster I run, the freer I get. Now, that leads us to a very important question then. There in your note sheet, a section that's called the pursuit of life, the big question. And I'm going to give it to you a couple different ways. Let's fill it in first, and then I'll change it just a tad. The first way is that which path are you pursuing? Let's fill that in. Which path are you pursuing? And then after you do that, scratch out the word which and write whose. I think it's probably a better way of asking it. These notes get finished on Wednesday. Some things get better after that. Whose path are you pursuing? I want you to think about this. Here's a question that drives the human race, whether we know it or not. The question is, how do we get back to the garden? And we each grow up with different theories in different ways, right? Like there are some people that it's all about romance, a big one in our culture. It's what all our music's about. Like, you just find the right person and fall in love with the right person, then, then I'd be happy. I'd be back to the garden. For other people, it's, uh, it's making lots of money. High achievement people, I'm going to start my own company, make a lot of money, I'll be financially independent. I'll, I'll be happy. For some people, it's uh, popularity. If I could just get in with the right group, if they all like me, if people like me, then then life will be good. And I could go on and on, right? For some people, it's position. For some people, it's pleasure. It's like, hey, if I've got a lot of, you know, kind of, uh, if I've got the women or I've got the drugs or I've got, if I've got the yacht, I've got the, you know, if I could try, whatever the thing is. 
And so we all inside of us have this theory of life. If I could just get this, then I will be happy. And so the question is, like, which path, whose path are you pursuing to get the good life? Because we're all, we're all on a path. Whether you know it or not, you and I are on a path. Every day we get up and we choose a path. We think this path will lead us to life. It's why we do what we do. It's impossible as a human being not to do it. We all have a theory of life. We all have a path. This is the path that I believe will lead me to life. And the question is, whose path? are you pursuing? What we've seen in this passage is that there are two trees in the middle of the garden. There's a tree of life. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we'll talk more about this in chapter 3. But, but for now, it's obvious that they're representing two paths, aren't they? There's a, there's a path to life that's a path of obedience, it's a path of the commands, it's a path of trust, it's a path of surrender, it's a path of pursuing this God who has created all of this and given as a gift and designed us. That's a path of saying, I'm going to put my money on this God. I'm going to believe that, that he knows the path to life, and I'm going, to, I'm going to go with him come hell or high water, and I'm going to trust him when it makes sense, I'm going to trust him when it doesn't make sense. He designed me, he made me, he designed life. Every good thing I've ever experienced is from him. I'm putting my money on God, right? That's one path. And then there's a, another path, and it's the knowledge of good and evil, Hey, I think I know better. I think I'm smarter. I think I'm wiser. And often it looks like this. God is pretty good most of the time. But in this particular situation, and I want you to hear that very carefully. In this particular situation, I think I need to strike out on my own to get back to the garden. Are you with me? This is the way it works, especially for us. If you're a Christ follower, it's not like this. It's not like every day we say, you know what? I'm going to do life my own way. It's not like that. Most of the time we go, I'm going to do life God's way. It makes sense. I mean, the Holy Spirit's come in our lives. He's opened our minds. If we're in a good church, if the Word's being taught, it's like, well, this makes sense. And so we're going to do that path most of the time. But here's what I want you to catch. It's not most of the time that matters. It's those times when it doesn't make sense that determine our destiny. See, what, what do you believe? What's your theory of life? Boil it all down. At the core, do you believe that God knows the path to life or do you not? See, let's boil it all down. And I think what often, as Christ, I believe he knows the path to life most of the time. But there are these situations where I think in order to, to find the path to life, I need to strike out on my own. And so, so maybe it's, uh, hey, I'm, I'm single, and uh, 
I've been waiting for God to bring me the right person for a long time. And uh, he has not brought me the right person. And so I know what the Bible says about marrying another believer, but this guy is a really nice guy, and he's got a job. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, maybe I could lead him to Christ. You know, I could just model. He's never really had anyone in his life who, who knows Jesus. And so if I just, mo- maybe I can bring him to Christ. So most of the time, we're going to trust in God and his way. But in this time, it's just not working out. Like God, I, I know that whole garden thing. I mean, yeah, sure, it's easy to trust God in the garden. I mean, all the trees, the river, the fine stuff, he creates right away he, the needs there. But I've been praying for someone uh, to marry for 10 years, and he's not come through for me. And so I think in this one time, I need to strike out on my own. You know, or, or, or you're married. And you're like, hey, I, man, I, I know what the Bible says about this, about making it work and sticking it out, but I am just tired. I don't think this man's ever going to change, and it's, just, it's driving me crazy. And, and there's this guy, at, if I could just be with this guy, and he's, maybe, God, I know God wouldn't want me to be unhappy, and maybe, you know, or, or it's like, what? Well, you don't understand my, my field. Like, if I have integrity, I will never be successful. If I, if I am honest about who I am, I'll lose my job. You know, I was like, well, I, I know what the Bible says about sexual purity, but I don't know. I know lots of Christians who aren't living that, and, and they seem to be doing okay, and, and Maybe it's not that big of a deal. Hey, I know what God says about you know, Jesus about money, and you can't love God and money and all, but I just, someday, you know, someday when I have more, then, then I'll do what he tells me to do. But right now, I mean, you know, I just, I don't know what would happen. You, you see what I'm talking about? Can I tell you something? It's not the decisions we make when God's word makes sense that matter. It's the decisions we make when God's word doesn't make sense that matter. Those days define our destiny. And so, whose path are you pursuing for life? Let's pray. Fathers, our heads are bowed and um, our eyes are closed. Um, I think we're humbled by your word. And God, we're just humbled by this recognition that so many times we trust you to a point, but deep in our hearts, when we get in the jam, we want to trust ourselves or trust something else. There's someone else, there's something else that can make us happy that if we pursue that, we make that our first love, we make that our God, that that will lead us to life. 
And God, what we find is that time and time again, these gods let us down because they don't have the power to save. And so, God, we, we come as a church, as we start this new series, and we just confess that so many times we have trusted you to a point, but we have not absolutely trusted you with our life when it matters most. And as a result, we've compromised your vision for our lives, and we have not experienced life with a capital L that you came to give us. And so, Lord, we come, and we ask you for grace, and we ask you for mercy, and we thank you that you are the God, the creator God, who creates out of nothing. And then even more, out of nothing, that out of the chaos, you hover over our lives like we learned in the last series, and you call forth beautiful things. And so, God, we pray at the start of this series as we bow our knees before you, bow our hearts, and we say, God, we want to follow. We don't want to choose the wrong tree. We want to trust and pursue and run in the path of your commands and experience the freedom that only those tough choices can make. I pray if there's any of my brothers or sisters here right now that you're out there right now, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You're my brother or sister in Christ. You love me, I love you. We're going to be together forever. And you know that you've been compromising in an area. You've been trusting your path instead of God's. And God is speaking to you today. I'm just going to ask you, would you just lay it down today? Would you just get on your knees before God and just ask him to forgive you for not trusting and ask him to heal your heart, increase your faith, and you just begin to trust him in that area and let him breathe life into you again. Maybe you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and this has just been so intriguing to you and you don't understand it all, but somehow you understand the basics that Jesus came to give us life what his, his death was all about, the forgiveness and new life. And, and you want that new life, and you, you don't understand it all, but you just, you just want that life. I just encourage you that during this final worship song, you just ask God, in your own words, just God, come into my life, forgive me, and, and lead me in the path to life. Restore my life, and he will. So God, we pray as we come now, as we worship, as we bring your offerings, we pray you'd meet us as we celebrate you as the giver of life. We pray that you breathe new life into us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, that's our prayer, is that you are great. And it's the desire of our heart that you'd open our eyes to see that greatness, God, to see you as that amazing God that is brilliant and powerful and creative and personal and beautiful and generous and good. God, I pray you'd just break down this distrust that we are born with that somehow your commands are restrictive instead of protective. And God, we pray that we would grow in this. Father, you'd speak to our hearts. You'd call us home. You'd call us to our true home, back to the garden. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus, who's made a way for us to come home and leads us in that path to life. We pray that we would as we go through this series week after week, we talk about these important topics that you would guide us one week at a time about how to reclaim the garden. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Mm. Mm. Hey, a couple things as we, we go today. First of all, just remember that we always have prayer after every service available. If you ever need prayer, 
right down here to my right, there's a place we call the prayer corner or prayer connection. Head on back to it. People would love to pray. Second, uh, next week we'll continue this series, and, and kind of topic on the table is work and career, and what was it designed to be? Uh, what happened to it? How do we reclaim and kind of recapture some of God's original vision for our careers and for our, our work in the workplace, whether that work is inside the home or outside the home or wherever it is. And so I hope you can be with us uh, next week. Life group leaders, don't forget to sign up for, for the All Serve uh, out on the patio afterwards. And, and the last thing I'd like to say is while we were just kind of worshiping down there, I just felt like, like I was kind of putting my heart that he just wanted to speak to you. And there's many out there that his word to you is children come. Come home. You've been away so long from the garden. You've run after other paths, and they have not led you back. And he's calling you to trust him. And so that's the word for you today. As we go, children, come. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless.